The Forum on Workplace Inclusion's 2021 podcast series is sponsored by Best Buy. More diversity in tech means more ideas that can change the world. Learn more at bestbuy.com slash more of this. It's happening. The Forum's 33rd annual conference, Workplace Revolution, is March 8th through 12th, 2021. A forum conference like never before, the 33rd annual conference will be completely virtual with the same high-quality forum programming you've come to know, love, and expect. This year's annual conference is our most affordable, most accessible, and at five days long, our biggest conference ever. Register early and take advantage of reduced pricing. So join us from anywhere on March 8th through 12th, 2021 for the Forum on Workplace Inclusion 33rd Annual Conference, Workplace Revolution. Be a part of the global conversation. Be a part of the solution. Be a part of the Workplace Revolution. For more information, visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org 2021. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org 2021. We get to engage people, advance ideas, and ignite change because of the generous support from our community. If you find our resources meaningful or valuable, please consider supporting the forum today. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org donate. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org donate. Thank you very much for your support and generosity. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers. You help support the growth of the podcast and reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've already written a review, thank you. Please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or a colleague you think might find value in the content. Word of mouth is the best way the Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and happy Black History Month. Thank you for tuning in for today's podcast, Mindfulness in the Workplace, Strategies to Support Young Employees of Color, with Dr. Corinne Glover of the Albert Einstein School of Medicine, this podcast sponsored by Best Buy. I am Ben Rue, Program Associate here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. Today's pandemic, economic crisis, and national racial reckoning have only exasperated challenges and produced additional risk factors that can jeopardize young people of color in the workplace. In this session, Dr. Corinne Glover, a psychiatrist and mindfulness expert, shares insights into the mental and physical impacts of structural racism, racial trauma, and bias on young employees of color, with special attention on the mind-body connection. Dr. Glover will also discuss the mindfulness-based techniques listeners can share with employees, as well as resources and tools for identifying mental health and emotional well-being symptoms and seeking support. In this podcast, you'll learn techniques and tools to cope with issues like racial trauma, microaggressions, and implicit bias. You'll learn how to decrease isolation and loneliness and increase the sense of community, belonging, and supportive network, and gain knowledge around culturally relevant traditions and practices from communities of color. Karen A. Glover, MD, MPH, is Director of Adult Behavioral Health at Montefiore and Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. She focuses on health, equity, diversity in medicine, medical, student, and residency education, community engagement, and increasing access to mental health for marginalized populations. Dr. Glover earned her undergrad degree from Howard University, then attended Columbia University, where she obtained a Master of Public Health degree. She then attended SUNY Downstate College of Medicine, where she obtained her Doctor of Medicine. 
Dr. Glover uses mindfulness-based techniques in her psychiatry practice, as well as her career coaching for diverse professionals, and is committed to addressing the mental health needs of patients and families. Dr. Glover is experienced in teaching, having taught evidence-based psychopharmacology treatment modalities to residents and medical students, HIV mental health in primary care for family medicine residents, and case conferences for internal medicine residents. She has been recognized with many awards for her efforts and has written two publications. Dr. Glover is also a former vice president of the Black Psychiatrists of Greater New York and Associates. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Glover. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, me too. And I was going to say happy Black History Month shortly. <laughs> yes, it's a good happy one. Black History Month. There's so much to, to learn about and be proud of. Exactly, exactly. Well, speaking of things to be proud of, I thought of before we like jumped into the questions, if you could just give us a little bit of a, a little bit of your backstory, because I know I went over your bio earlier, but we, you know, from previous conversations, I, I think you have a pretty interesting backstory. Um, I think it'd be pretty helpful for our listeners. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I am Corinne Glover. I am a psychiatrist. I was not always a psychiatrist, though. I am African-American, born in the Bronx, uh, raised in Westchester County in White Plains. I'm the daughter of a high school history teacher and of a jazz musician slash public health administrator. Uh, and and those my, my parents grew up in Harlem. They came of age in Harlem. My grandparents are deceased, but they were Southern people. And they, like lots of African-Americans, migrated North in the 40s and 50s when they recognized that the South just was not a safe place for them. So my grandfather saw his cousin get lynched and he knew, right, that family was not safe. So he moved up to Harlem and started a life, uh, basically an internally displaced refugee, and started a life in Harlem and worked any job he could find to keep his family afloat. So I am the, the child of and grandchild of uh, people who made very deep sacrifices for my success. Um, I think the other part of my identity that people don't usually know about is that I worked in marketing before I went into medicine. So I was in Inroads, which is a uh, a nationwide program that develops and prepares talented minority youth to to work in business and industry and in healthcare, and. And it was through those experiences and inroads working for Verizon, which at the time was called 9X, I'm totally dating myself, <laughs> that I got exposure to the, the essentially like business environments and corporate environments. And I got coaching on how to be a successful person uh, in the workplace. And that experience has served me through my entire life. It also had its share of trauma, as you can imagine, um, because being a 17-year-old, 18-year-old in corporate spaces where I'm being developed for leadership and coached for leadership, a lot was you know, uh, requested of me, but I had a lot of opportunities to shine as well. That's so great. That's such, I, like I said, I think that's such a great story. And um, 
Uh, well, not the whole lynching part, but your journey. <laughs> Thank you, um, thank you. Uh, so, what? So, what are young um, P, um, PLCs facing when entering corporate uh, corporate environments? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I think has not changed from when I was a young person of color entering corporate environments is this adjustment to a different culture, right? Because there's just American culture, there's American subcultures, and there's American corporate culture. And, and it was a lot to wrap my mind around uh, the, the different expectations that people had of me learning the language of the, of the, of the office environment, right? And mm -hmm. I was working in telecom. So there were tons of abbreviations and acronyms that I had to learn. And then I had to learn essentially about levels like hierarchies in the workplace and when it was appropriate to talk to somebody who's higher than my boss and when it wasn't, right? So navigating leadership regardless of culture uh, or background of the person i that's i think sort of a major um a major skill set that you learn when you're working in a corporate environment and then you also learn about the kinds of topics and conversations you can have and the kinds that are taboo in the workplace as well and all that sometimes comes through trial and error. If you're lucky, you get some coaching. If you're lucky, you get some from, some uh, wisdom from your parents or from a mentor. But it's a lot to learn a language, a new schedule, yeah. uh, hierarchies. A whole and, new culture. And, and right, just overall culture. So those were those were some of the the harder things that I had to navigate. And and I think those things remain uh, perhaps one of the things that POC uh, youth are facing when they enter environments like um, like the one I went into, but now in these days is that they're navigating racial trauma mm -hmm. in different ways. They're navigating racial discrimination in different ways. And they're also using social media to communicate and find support. So I think there are lots of factors to that affect kind of how somebody integrates in a work environment and how they how they self-regulate in a work environment in these times definitely definitely and how can mindfulness be helpful with all of that so I guess it's helpful to first define mindfulness. I feel like everybody talks about it, but not necessarily by breaking it down. So I think it, I'll start from the way that I learned it. Um, I learned about meditation mm -hmm. through my father, who is a saxophone player. He's a multi-instrumentalist, extremely talented guy who also worked in administration at the New York City Department of Health. So he had to go between his artistic self and his work self. And, and, and he had to be able to sort of keep a graceful sort of equanimity about him in multiple kinds of environments. And one of the ways that he would do that was through meditation. So from a young age, I saw my father practice yoga. I saw him meditate. And, you know, I just sort of thought he was like a kind of a weird bohemian guy, right? Like, 
and so it took time for me to fully appreciate uh, some of those lessons around breath work and how to be very present with the people you love and to focus on tasks to be very say, good like, at them. Sounds like a cool dad to me. <laughs> Oh, he's awesome. It, you know, of course, when you're young, you think your parents are just goofy and weird and mm -hmm. like you wish you could just sort of trade them for anybody else. But uh, I've since come to appreciate my parents very deeply, and I'm glad that they're both healthy and, and well. So so the good part about mindfulness and, and why it sort of clicked for me was that it didn't require some dedicated religion uh, practice. It It really was about simply being in touch with your breath and learning the skills to take stock of how I'm doing and then to respond after I've done that sort of self-investigation. And it can be done in one minute, right? And, and it's through that practice that I became sharper at work, that I became calmer, particularly under stressful times and able to find solutions to problems more easily. Thank you. That's such a, thank you so much for that. Um, you know, I, I relate. My dad's a musician as well. He plays the guitar um, and also oh, very, very. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he's, it's it's always been his passion. He gets very much in the zone when he's like it's it's almost spiritual for him when he's playing. Yeah, yeah for it's, sure. It's, yeah, so it's very yeah very mindful for um. So yes, I completely get that. Um. So how does the Steve? How can the Steve Fund help? Like how do what do they offer that can help with mindfulness? Well, so so the Steve Fund has this overall approach to emphasizing and helping companies sort of wrap their minds around the challenges faced by young people of color as they enter the workplace and then giving those young people tools for success. So we should probably talk about why, like the, the concrete ways that, that mindfulness in particular can be so helpful for young people in the workplace. One of the things about workplaces these days, uh, particularly before COVID, I should say, was that workplaces are are literally distraction places, right? That like you go there and as soon as you arrive, somebody comes to you within five minutes of your arrival and they're like talking to you about the most important things and you haven't even adjusted to being there yet. And then throughout the day, people are popping in, you've got meetings, but as you're in your meeting, if your laptop or your cell phone is there, you're getting notifications that are constantly pulling away your attention. So mindfulness is a wonderful tool for sort of proceeding through your day with a moment to moment awareness of when you're distracted, how to minimize those distractions, and then how to improve your focus when you're trying to apply yourself to different tasks. And then if you're switching, going from task to task, mindfulness can be used so that you can do that with a with a sort of a greater sense of purposefulness and intentionality. So that's why mindfulness can be super useful in the workplace. And then on top of that, for for what is what the, the challenges that young people of color are facing, um, the 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 Steve Fund can be particularly helpful in in sort of customizing the experience of adjusting to the workplace. Could you just give us a little bit of more back or a little bit of who the Steve Fund is? So the Steve Fund is the nation's only organization focused on supporting the mental health and emotional well-being of young people of color. So they work with colleges, universities, nonprofits, 
and mental health experts and families and kids and, and corporate uh, entities to promote and build understanding and assistance for the mental and emotional health of the nation's young people of color. And they hold an annual conference series and they, they have a workplace advisory council to, to really address some of the mental health needs of young people of color. And they do a lot of their work through just simply having seminars and workshops, doing some individual coaching and creating programs and strategic partnerships to sort of spread the word and, and really provide a lot of awareness and dialogue for young people and, and their employers to understand better some of the challenges faced by young people of color. Wow, that's really awesome. It sounds like they're doing a lot of really good work. Um, and yeah. it sounds like the work that they're doing would be challenging enough on a, on a, at regular times. Like how should we be approaching the complex challenges of the COVID times that we're living in and the ever-present um, forces of structural racism and their effects on the work environment? That's a small question. <laughs> I think I can. <laughs> How does the Steve Fund fix that? <laughs> right, right. So, so I think it, it, it really, it's something that we have not talked about in the workplace. I think we've historically really tried to avoid anything that can make people feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. even if it means that as soon as they walk out of the workplace, they live uncomfortable lives. So, right, we know that certain populations, certain darker complected populations are more likely to have humiliating encounters with police, to, to also have family members who are at higher risk for COVID. And, and so the idea is that when our young people of color enter the workplace, we really want to make sure that we're providing hopefully a sanctuary from some of the more difficult aspects of being a, in a minority community in the United States, right? So when we recognize that, that employers want to provide some sort of safe space, some sort of equity in, in the workplace and not re-traumatize people when they, when they get there, right? And, and retain really smart, very talented workers. So the idea is like recognizing that there are some parts of our country, some parts, some aspects of being in the United States that, that very much detract from your mental health, that detract from your physical health. We want, the Steve Fund really wants to work with employers and young people to help reshape work environments so that there's greater equity, so that there's purposeful, intentional recognition of the talents of young people of color rather than thinking of them as less qualified or even missing their talents entirely because believe it or not, unconscious bias is a thing. And, and it often, right? And then it often leads to, to people being rendered invisible in the work environment and being passed over for promotions. So true. Yeah. So I hate to do this, but we are running, we are running down on time. So we're gonna get to our last couple questions. But again, I just wanna thank you so much for being here and for this great conversation. So uh, my next question is, what are key takeaways for us as we consider this time in our history slash, you know, in 2021, in the, four, the or the 13th month of 2020? <laughs> <laughs> 
right? Another very simple question I'm happy to tackle. And and hopefully I'll get invited back to to um to to sort of review. Like maybe we can do a year in review and yes. see how we made see how we made out. But let's I, get then, it on the books know, now. <laughs> look, okay, good, good. Because you know, I think what I'm hoping for, right, is that these days after the the violent killings of Breonna Taylor and and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery that that we're more willing as a society to to sit down and really take into account that some people live very different realities they are still Americans and it with respect to that to even go further and accept that the experience of different people as Americans that knowing that those experiences can be so distinct as to jeopardize their mental health and their physical health, right? To know that people who have humiliating encounters with police may, there's lots of data to show that they may go on to avoid medical care. They may go on to, to have cardiovascular disease. And so as employers are wrapping their minds around benefits for their employees, I hope employers start to think in terms of how can we create work environments that are not traumatic? How can we make sure that our benefits help connect our employees with clinicians who are also committed to being non-biased, mm -hmm. clinicians who are committed to being non-racist, and, and also acknowledging that racism is not just burning a cross on somebody's lawn or, or wearing a Camp Auschwitz t-shirt like, like some protesters did recently, right? Like recognizing that there are structures in place, habits in place, company cultures that reinforce some of the, the inequities that we are dealing with in many aspects of our lives. Thank you so much. Yeah, you just brought up a lot of great points and you talked about all, all the different forms of racism that, you know, people like uh, young people are or people of color are going to encounter. Um, but and you mentioned in healthcare as well. So what are um, some of the health challenges specifically young POC are facing? So specifically, I think the one that is the most urgent is what young black women face when they are pregnant, right? So young people of color, particularly black women or women of African descent in our society have a three to four times higher risk of dying from pregnancy related complications than white women. And the big reason that researchers use to explain that discrepancy is racism. It is the day-to-day -day experiences of racism, discrimination, interpersonal racism, but also structural factors as well, that these women are related often to folks who are living with less and who are the victims of structural racism, the folks who have grown up in, uh, with, in, in neighborhoods that are perhaps polluted. They grew up maybe with family who were very, very financially unstable and 
had to go to inferior schools. They may have grown up in neighborhoods that were policed differently, which leads to its own level of stress and humiliation. And so it's that repeated exposure that has a way of wearing people's health down. And particularly pregnant women, are pregnant Black women, are highly vulnerable to terrible pregnancy-related complications. So I think for employers who are hiring Black women of childbearing age, they need to be aware of the ways that the workplace can either enhance one's wellness or ways that the workplace are traumatizing people and stressing them out so much that they are bound to have terrible complications from their pregnancies. So those are some of the things that I think are super urgent for young Black women. I think the other thing that needs to be taken into account is that for Blacks and Latino people, I've been going back and forth about using the term Latinx versus Latino, and the consensus I've gotten is use the word Latino, so that's what I'll be using. I think it's important to bear in mind that, again, the day-to-day -day experiences of racism and discrimination and bias, unconscious or otherwise, have a way of affecting blood pressure, the way that a person controls their blood sugar such that they may, have di they may be prone to diabetes later in life simply based, and I shouldn't say simply, but in many ways related to the day-to-day -day experiences of the stress associated with racism. There are wonderful researchers coming out of Harvard that have been working on this for the past 20, 30 years, Nancy Krieger and David Williams among them, and they have TED Talks to explain this to people. So the data is there. I just think it's important that we make the most of this time that we're willing to reckon with some of the legacies of racism in our society so that we can create work environments that are as the least traumatizing possible and perhaps the most life-changing when it comes to, to, to making the most out of, of, of a period of people's lives where they should be growing and, and learning and, and prospering and flourishing. A lot to think about there, and a lot of a mm. uh, lot to think about. And actually, uh, brought, brought up another question. Actually, um, a lot of companies are trying to emphasize wellness and emphasize wellness in their benefits packages. You know, attract you know young uh, like like millennial talent and support you know and and then support employee wellness efforts. But given all these changes in society that we're having right now, these 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 huge shifts. Like, what should companies be thinking uh, thinking of when thinking about the health and wellness of their employees, especially their employees of color? So I want employers to really think about not only providing equal access to places and institutions for wellness activities, but thinking about the unique needs that certain populations have. So I'll give you the example of when I was a young corporate employee, somebody was showing me around and they showed me the beauty salon or the, the barber shop. I mean, they called it a salon. They, you know, they didn't want to, to genderize it, right? But I looked, at, I looked at it and I saw that, you know, that people could go there for a haircut or get their hair blown out. 
But I thought, are they doing black hair there? Right. Like black hair is is right. very curly and requires a whole skill set to be able to work with. And so I thought here they think they're providing equal access to a particular wellness service or a particular benefit. When in reality, they didn't hire the people who have the skill set for my hair. And so I think it's important to keep in mind that as employers, we have to we have to make sure that we're applying. Uh, sorry, we're providing benefits that everybody can use, and and that w- there's actual skill sets for people to make the most of. Particularly if we're referring people to our employee assistance program, and we want them to know that when they ask for help, we can give them a therapist who is familiar with their culture who is familiar with the experience of being a black man in America or familiar with being an Indian American or familiar with being Asian American. And even if not extremely and exquisitely familiar with the the ins and outs of somebody's culture, at least culturally humble enough to not make assumptions about whole populations, which is what has happened, I think, for a very long time in in the field of sort of cross-cultural mental health. And I and that's why mm-hmm. and I think why equity is so important, right? Now exactly. Too. And you know, cultural and it, it really exactly it it really is this 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 willingness to to ask yourself some really good questions about the kinds of benefits you're providing. And there's a whole questionnaire that the the Steve Fund has developed to help corporations understand better where they are on the on the spectrum of of health equity on the spectrum of workplace mental health and on the spectrum of uh, um, I forgot the name of, of what you call it when you have a diverse um, employee base and and making sure that everybody feels like they belong well yeah and I mean again that's equity like that's being equitable like inclusion inclusion right inclusion the, right. the I right. of DEI <laughs> yes um, exactly yeah exactly. no exactly like yes it's the uh, equity and inclusion I think are two of the most important um, pa- uh, aspects because you know yeah they have this salon which is great um, and mm-hmm. but it's you know like you said well if I went in there would they be able to do anything with my hair like right what and right. it's it's just like well yay you have a salon and you have all these other great things and you have you have black white asian you know all like different PL, like groups working here but yeah no only a certain group of people working there can use that salon so right and and are we are we valuable enough to to for people to think to themselves right instead of i don't see color maybe thinking instead of like i see the differences between my employees. I see that they have different needs and I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm going to work overtime to figure out how to meet the different needs of my employees. And yeah, and then, and I think, I see that there's an endless, you know, uh, another podcast I did was about um, people not being afraid to be wrong um, or make mm-hmm, a mistake. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people, mm. a lot of employers will opt just not to try rather than make right. a mistake and offend someone. And it's just like, there it's like, you know, it's, you can approach it that way or you can approach it as like it's opportunities to learn. Um, right. and, there, and like right. you said, and then you, like you said, there's countless, you know, people who are now here and, you know, willing to teach 
Um, exactly, exactly. And I think that's also um, why it's so important to have like an employee research resource group, right? ERGs, mm -hmm. where employees of different backgrounds get to give feedback to their employers in ways that are solicited, in ways that are not, uh, like where you know you're not gonna face backlash for offering feedback to your employer. But then it's yes. also, I think, important to, to have um, sort of like mentoring in a way to sort to to keep on offering being very intentional about supporting the career development of of employees of color because we know that especially given what you just said like employers may feel weird about asking the questions and getting it wrong but also young people of color often feel weird and like they're getting it wrong all the time too. So like, mm -hmm. what if we could both acknowledge our own sense of awkwardness and our own experience of feeling weird in the workplace, but then also move past that to just ask the questions that need to be asked. Exactly. And like, you know, taking like, you know, yeah, pushing past that weirdness. It's like, it's natural. It's, but it, it, you know, once you can get past that, then you can actually get actual things done than trying to right. avoid that weirdness at all costs <laughs> and exactly, making exactly. things worse. Um, yeah. Well, I could talk to you for hours. Um, Likewise. <laughs> but I we unfortunately do have to cut, uh, wrap this up. So thank you again so much for being here and for this great thank conversation. Um, and I look forward to continuing next year. <laughs> I would love that, Ben. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Glover, for that wonderful conversation. And thank you to our listeners for joining, and a special thank you to our sponsor, Best Buy. To learn more about wealth, wellness in the workplace, please feel free to visit the Steve Fund at www.stevefund.org. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, new episodes of the Forum podcast are available at workplaceforum.org. Ford Class Podcast. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Stitcher. Thank you again for listening and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. An Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the liberal arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.